Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the second episode of the New Era Canucks podcast. My name is Jordan, and with me as well is my co-host, Ben. Ben, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. We've definitely got a lot to talk about, considering it's just a couple days after the trade deadline here. Yeah, um, yesterday was the trade deadline. Um, a lot of trades went down, three trades in uh, in Canuckland that we had. And um, yeah, let's, let's uh, get into it here. Uh, get into the podcast here. Um, first of all, we want to talk about when the Canucks are going to be back because that could be this week. They could be back this week. I think it's Friday that they could be returning, but they're still only having 10 or so players on the ice right now. It's still very much reminiscent of the return to play that they did last year, and I can't see them coming back on Friday. I know the NHL came out, the Canucks came out, and said they were going to play a game on Friday, but considering everything that's still going on, considering the Canucks still have uh players in the teams on the COVID protocol list you can't really see them coming back on friday i would like to see canucks hockey again but i also think it's pretty irresponsible from the nhl to see the canucks playing the senators four times as vital to the schedule which i think we all know that it's not yeah and like we discussed last week it's it's always more than a game and you know you you always have to always have to take in the players uh health and everything that goes into that before you can put these players on the ice. And especially in a global pandemic, you know, you can't, can't try and force these guys onto the ice here, but you know, um, April 16th is just something that we have circled on our calendars right now. I'm pretty sure you do as well as I, and we're just hoping and praying that, you know, that COVID uh, list can clear up and everything can go back to normal. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that the Canucks come out fine out of this. I know the Buffalo Sabres had a bit of issues with Rasmus Ristolainen. and he's been playing most games this year, but he has been hit hard by COVID. He had COVID in the offseason, uh, which was very long for the Buffalo Sabres not playing in the bubble, and he hasn't been healthy this year, and you see how the Buffalo Sabres are doing, especially defensively. I can't see the Canucks doing any better than that, and if any of these players have any symptoms that sort of hold over or any long-lasting effects from COVID, which is the Brazilian variant, then there's going to be some issues with how the Canucks are going to be playing and what we're going to see from the Canucks, not only this year, but in the future. It, it could jeopardize careers of some players. Mm, and yeah, now you look at that too with, now we've brought in a new player as well, Matthew Highmore, all the way in from Chicago. Obviously he will have to do his COVID uh, quarantining and everything, get through that first week of being in Vancouver. But, you know, um, when, when you take into now that, that we made a trade that we welcomed the player and it's now it's like, well, then you got that uh, not obstacle to climb, but you know, you have that guy coming in from a different country. Like he's coming in from the United States uh, during this and especially while the Canucks are out with what they are right now, obviously I'm not saying that the trade was a bad decision. I'm just saying, you know, right now it's, it's not looking good. I don't know if it's public, but I wouldn't be surprised if both Madison Bowie and Matthew Heimer are vaccinated when they're coming into Canada. Mm. Sure, they still have to go through the seven-day quarantine that the NHL mandates and the Canadian government mandates, but there's a chance they're they're vaccinated. And for all purposes, the U.S. is in a better situation right now than Canada. It should only be a couple more weeks uh, until Canada passes COVID cases per capita and COVID deaths per capita. Uh, than what the U.S. is right now. I know I have a lot of family in the United States, and they're already getting their second doses while we're here just waiting for our first doses north of the border. So trading for players from American teams is not as bad as it might have been in the summer when the U.S. was really battling sort of uh, the, the front force of COVID. 
And yeah, yeah, like that's that's all you really can say there. But let's uh, let's move along here and uh, let's get into some more better news to talk about, depending on how you feel about this deal. Um, the Canucks signing Tanner Pearson to a three year extension worth nine point seven five million dollars with a annual uh, average value of three point two five million dollars. Ben, your thoughts? It's not terrible, but it's far from great. The Canucks are not in a spot, and I think we both know this, they're not in a spot to compete for a Stanley Cup. Debatable whether they're in a spot, if healthy, that they could c- compete for a playoff spot. Tanner Pearson is a guy you have on your team when you are one of those teams. And this isn't a guy that you're winning with right now. So I don't really understand the thinking behind signing Tanner Pearson. I think that the funniest thing that sort of came out the day he signed was Chris Johnston of Sportsnet said on Twitter that uh, some good news was coming out of Vancouver that Tanner Pearson has signed a three-year extension for uh, that amount of money. And it was completely just misreading the uh, the Vancouver market because I know a lot of people here aren't too pleased with the Pearson resigning. He's a good hockey player. He probably deserves that much money on a team that is ready to make a shot at the Stanley Cup, which isn't the Canucks. The Canucks are cash-strapped because of bad decisions. It's death by paper cuts. Well, the Canucks... Jim Benning uh, spoke to the media and he said that money's coming off the books. There's chances uh, to, to really make a push in two or three years to become competitive with money coming off the books in guys like Brandon Sutter and Louis Erickson. But if the Canucks keep doing these deals with guys like Tanner Pearson, it's death by paper cuts because each little one is cash that you don't have to spend on a good player. You should be able to find a good player, a very good player for $3 million in this league. And Tanner Pearson in three years, his trajectory doesn't look like he's going to be worth that. Yeah, and that also brings back to what we were talking about last week, where it's, you know, just how how a deal can come back and bite you later. And you, you think at that moment that that was the deal that you wanted for that player, and that's the deal that you think that player deserves for that amount of time that you're signing that contract, and sometimes it doesn't even match up. And obviously, we've seen that in a pretty famous case now with, uh, with Louis Erickson as he's how he's turned out obviously hoping that Tanner Pearson doesn't turn out to be the same as that but like you said his his trajectory doesn't look good especially at the time of his career he's in obviously very good hockey player he's proven it in the past well a part of the Canucks but yeah I I don't I don't necessarily like the amount of money I think maybe we could have done it for a little cheaper and if not then that's where you just say okay let's get some assets for you then if if we can't work out a deal here. I think there might've been a trade in the works if the Canucks weren't taken aback by COVID. When the Canucks were in the twenties of guys on the COVID list, then you can't be really marketing players who have been going through life-changing things. I mean, I don't think Tanner Pearson ever landed on the COVID list, but I know he spoke to Sportsnet and he was saying that it's tough seeing not only these guys as teammates land on the COVID list, but their wives, their pregnant wives, their boyfriends, their, their sons, like it, their, their daughters, families were affected by this. And that's, that's more than hockey. Uh, we spoke about it last week. If you're, you're just listening to this, check out last week's episode. We really dissected the COVID situation in a lot more depth. But Tanner Pearson not getting traded, I think there was a chance he gets traded. But the, co- uh, the Canucks COVID outbreak really put a plug in that. And I'm shocked the Canucks even made a couple moves. Uh, shipping on Adam Gaudet and Jordy Ben. Uh, those are two moves I didn't expect them to make. Um, but considering sort of the COVID situation with Adam Gaudet being patient zero 
in the Canucks organization. And then Jordy Ben sort of just being that defenseman who's uh, pretty replaceable in the NHL. I, I see that those two players get traded, but I think a team that's trading for an instant impact guy isn't going to trade for a guy who's been off ice for a while on a team affected by COVID. In town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, now that you mentioned uh, trades, let's get into the trades. There were three moves made this, uh, this uh, not this week, uh, this past day. Um, the Canucks shipped out Adam Gaudet to the Chicago Blackhawks in exchange for center Matthew Highmore. They traded Jordy Ben to the Winnipeg Jets in exchange for a 2021 sixth round pick. And they traded a 2021 fourth rounder to Chicago in exchange for defenseman Madison Bowie and a 2021 fifth round pick. So Canucks kind of seem to be making a lot of moves in this 2021 draft. They seem to they seem to kind of like it a little bit. Well, they, they made some moves for player personnel and the guys they got are guys who can skate around, hold a hockey stick, and they do so in the NHL, sometimes in the AHL. Are they special? No, they're nowhere near special. They're they're nowhere near game changers. They are easily replaceable guys. You see hundreds hundreds of these guys around the league. They shuffle in and out between the AHL and the NHL. These guys are not difference makers. Is Madison Bowie going to be playing 20 minutes a night when the Canucks are competing for a Stanley Cup? I doubt it. I mean, unless he completely lights up the world when he gets to Vancouver, Madison Bowie's in the AHL when the Canucks are in the Stanley Cup. At most, he's playing sort of seven minutes a night. But he's a body on the back end, right? And without Jordy Ben, that's what you sort of need. The same thing goes for Matthew Highmore. He's, he's mediocre at best. But the fact that the Canucks traded for a draft pick, a six-round pick, you're not getting an all-star in the sixth round, but they traded a player for a pick, which is rare in this management group, but they cashed in on a player they weren't planning to re-sign. So rather than just letting him walk, they actually got something back for him. And sure, the return for Jordy Ben was pretty low, but he's 33. He's not fantastic. So maybe you could have gotten more, but I'm just glad they got something because it's still very different from this management group from what we've seen from the Canucks over the past few years. Yeah, I really think the only the only trade that they could have got anything more out of was the Adam Gaudet trade, 100 through and through. Well, honestly, no disrespect to Matthew Highmore here, but when I woke up, I went, who the fuck is Matthew Highmore? I was like, who? Like, obviously, NHL player. Um, he, play, he played with the Chicago Blackhawks, Rockford Icehogs, whole career. St. John Sea Dogs was pretty productive player in the queue actually when he when he played he I think one season he had about 60 70 points one year uh playing for the Sea Dogs for the QMJHL but like you said you know face biller he's a guy who can hold a hockey stick and skate around for seven minutes a game when you need it and especially right now this team that's battered and bruised and their bottom six is going to be looking like an AHL starting lineup um you might need a guy like that yeah I mean at this point I think we all know what the Canucks are. Right now, they're a COVID team. If they come back, they're not a good hockey team. They're not winning a Stanley Cup this year. They just have to play out the schedule. I know there's even been talks about the Canucks playing out the schedule while the NHL playoffs are on and just playing games parallel to the NHL playoffs, which just, well, it pleases TV broadcasters and all the right steals that you have around the NHL. It seems useless, and it's putting players' lives in danger. But I don't think there's too much... You can really look into these players because they're they're really not much. Matthew Highmore, as you said, decent junior player. He's mid twenties now. He's there's nothing really there. The the thing that I found sort of funny was 
yesterday, Jim Benning speaking to the media and said that uh, Adam Gaudet wasn't really in the age range they were looking for when he is in the age range that he said they're looking for in sort of the, the 24 to 34 age range. And so is Matthew Highmore, but Adam Gaudet wasn't the player the Canucks need. Matthew Highmore is not the player the Canucks need. But I think you're avoiding a situation where when the Canucks get back together and Adam Gaudet's in that room, uh, a hypothetical now, but Adam Gaudet would have been in that room. I think there probably would have been some judgment on Adam Gaudet who brought in COVID to the team and shut down their season. While you can't really blame him for that, I think there still would have been a bit of resentment against him. No, yeah, I, I've I've seen, you know, obviously you're going to see that when a player like that, all that drama goes on and he gets and he finally gets traded. And I, I always thought, you know, I don't think the main reason they traded Gaudet was the COVID situation, because I know at the start of the year, too, I heard that he wasn't happy in Vancouver and he was going to get traded like Adam Gaudet being traded was not a thing that started from just him bringing in COVID from the team. And they're like, he needs to go. And that's one of the things that I have not liked on social media the past couple of days is the Adam Gaudet slander. Because at the same time, too, yes, he was patient zero for us. Yes, obviously, there's a responsibility you have to take at that. But at the same time, this is a global pandemic we're talking about. You can't just blame Adam Gaudet. If you want to do that, then you can go and blame the person who ate the bat soup or whatever it was in Wuhan, China, two, almost two years ago now for starting this. Like, you know, it's, it's not judgment, but... It's, you know, it's, it definitely was that nail in the coffin that the Canucks almost needed to be like, yeah, I think like, you know, our time here is done. I think the, Canuck, the Canucks were definitely talking about trading Gaudet for a while. His name has been on the trade block for almost the entire season. And with Gaudet in the news with COVID and all, it might have just been the straw that broke the camel's back. But I think we still see a Gaudet trade even without, even without him testing positive for COVID and bringing it into the team. I still think Adam Gaudet would have been dealt with this deadline just based on sort of how he's played this year, what he's offered to the Canucks, and also how important he's been. Like, his level of importance has not been significant to this Canucks team, and he's not the player they're looking for, the player they thought they had when they were bringing in a Hopi Baker winner. Yeah, 100%. And, yeah, you look at something like that, you know, he won all those accolades and everything like that. He he looked like a surefire stud when he was coming into the league. Like, we thought we we probably got – I don't, I don't know who I'd compare him to, but, you know, I'd say we, we definitely thought we had one of the next serve fire snipers in the National Hockey League when we were bringing him in off that Hobie Baker win. And, yeah, it just hasn't matched up. But, you know, in the past, I think there has been a lot of Hobie Baker winners not meeting up to expectations. You look at Alex Kerfoot, you look at Jimmy Vesey, you look at all those guys. Jimmy Vesey's on the Canucks now, too. Like, it's like, you know, it's... It's it's a whole lot of hit and misses with the Hobie Bakers because you also got to acknowledge the fact that these guys are almost 2021 20, playing against guys who are coming in from junior hockey, just graduating high school and all that too. So, but you know, it's, it is what it is at the end of the day. It is what it is at the end of the day. And the Canucks are getting two players who can play in the NHL and maybe, maybe they become something. I think you look at, what Jim Benning has done over his tenure as Canucks general manager, which has not been great. He's missed the playoffs in most seasons, but he brings in these reclamation projects and they're players who can sometimes do, do something. Sven Berchi, although he was younger when he came in, he was a reclamation project. And even though he's in the AHL now, he was a contributor to the Canucks for a while. And maybe that's what they're looking for in bringing in Matthew Highmore and Madison Bullard. 
No, yeah, I can definitely see that too. And you know, um, I I think I'm, I think Bo or uh, Highmore is done at the end of the season his contract, but I'm not too sure about Bowie. So you could even have Bowie next year too, and have to keep him around for another year. But um, yeah, let's get into that trade because we've been talking a, a good amount about Adam Gaudet now. Um, Canucks sending a 2021 fourth rounder to Chicago for Madison Bowie and a fifth rounder. Personally, I think that this was the best trade of the day. I think that this was, yeah, the best trade of the day. I think um, we, well, for one, we finally got a right-handed defenseman. Um, it seems like until this season, Jim Benning has almost been scared to even look at those. Uh, it seems like the right-hand defense position for Jim Benning is a no-go zone. Um, but yeah, um, he's a 6'2 big boy who can play seven, ten minutes a game when you need it. And then he can also be a top four defenseman on your AHL team as well. I mean, he's a winner, right? And Jim Benning likes his winners. He's won a Stanley Cup. He's won a World Juniors. Uh, so he, he's a winner that he's they're bringing into the organization. He's not a fantastic hockey player by any means. He hasn't played much this year, only two games for the Blackhawks, but he can play in the NHL. Uh, we'll have to see exactly what he does, but he was successful in junior. He played in Kelowna. So maybe there's something that the Canucks can find out of him, but I see him in a very similar light to Matthew Highmore because he's not really a special player by any means. Yeah. And, but I mean, at the same time, you know, you talk about winning and, I feel like even if you bring in a small player like Madison Bowie, even though he does have winning background, you know, he went all the way to the Memorial Cup in 2015 as the captain of the Rockets. He won a Stanley Cup in 2018 with the Washington Capitals. He's got World Juniors experience. He's got all he's I feel like Madison Bowie is one of those players where you look at what he's done and it looks bigger to what he can actually do. Because you look at Stanley Cups, you look at Memorial Cups, you look at World Juniors, and you think you got a winner. And, well, maybe his play style can't match that. I think definitely the leadership in the locker room can lead over. And I think that comes into with him being the captain of Kelowna. You know, he was a very well-liked player in Kelowna. I was um, from around Kelowna about the time he was playing uh, for the Rockets, and he was almost a celebrity up there. You know, everybody knew Madison Bowie. He was the best hockey player in Cologne at the time, uh, apart from uh, um, Nick Merkley. And, you know, that those, uh, I feel like getting him will be a solid addition for now. It, I don't know about his future with the team, but I feel like for depth defenseman, he was a very good pickup at this trade deadline. Yeah, well, he's, he's on the Canucks now. Hopefully he gets to play a few games for them this year to see whether he sort of fits in with their systems. But also, you take a look at what the Canucks are heading into in the offseason, and you don't have a head coach right now. You don't have a, a coaching staff right now. And because of that, you don't really know if uh, Travis Green is going to want to play these players, whether he's going to want to experiment. He's probably going to want to play his best players and try and get the best results for the Canucks, which is not really what the Canucks need right now. Um, the Canucks do sort of need to tank. Uh, to get a higher draft pick, even though that doesn't matter all that much this year. But you can't trust a lame duck coaching staff to make the best decisions for your hockey club moving forward. And Jim Benning is going to make decisions based on how they play, which shouldn't be the way he's making decisions this year because the Canucks, when they come back, are not going to be in the top shape. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and 
And now, especially you look at the fact that they've shipped out two players and brought in two players. It's, it's good. It's going through all the, the process of basically getting this team from square one where they would be, where they would have been, you know, back in November, December this year, obviously, but like August, September in a regular hockey season, that's almost where the Canucks are now with this COVID situation. And now that they've shipped out players and brought in players and yeah, it's, um, it's a confusing time in Canuckland right now, but um, it's, it is sure to hopefully be over soon. And um, But yeah, but the last trade of the day, Jordy Ben going to the Winnipeg Jets for a 2021 six-rounder. I feel like this is the best bang-for-your-buck trade that they had for the day because you send off Ben, who is on an expiring contract, and obviously that is something that the Canucks are not too keen about, we have noticed. Um, and yeah, I feel like it's good because I feel like if he would have played that last little bit and he would have played good, we might have actually had to have re-signed him. I don't think Jim Benning was interested in re-signing Jordy Ben to the Canucks. He hasn't been a fantastic player over his time. He's been a bit of a surprise this year to the organization, but Jim Benning has never seemed too keen on him from what I understand. And so I thought he was going to be gone in the off season and in the expansion draft with Seattle, the Seattle Kraken coming in next year, you have to expose players who are signed to your team. And so if they were to expose Jordy Ben, he would have to resign with the Canucks. But with with doing making these moves, one, you get an asset back for Jordy Ben, and it's a six-rounder. There's not much there, but at least it's something, and the Canucks did well on that. But now you also have Madison Bowie and Matthew Highmore, two guys who you can probably resign for cheaper uh, and hopefully uh, expose in the expansion draft. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing, too, with this trade deadline and the one that happened in 2018, too, is a lot of the moves were just made to help the team out in the summer. Like, I know I remember the, the 2018 deadline or 2017, whatever year it was that Vegas came to the league. There was a lot of pulling hair and screaming and foul language used that year. And but in the end, it's just to prepare yourself for that summer and to have your team in a better spot for that expansion draft and to protect the players you want to protect. Because like you said, if they were to have protected or anything like that with Jordy Ben, it could have been a back herder in the future. Yeah, it could have hurt the Canucks if they had to re-sign Jordy Ben, and I don't think they were going to sign him for more than a couple of years, but it, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with the Canucks with these two players. Um, we've, we've picked apart the deadline a lot and they've made these moves, but the Canucks are returning. They're returning for meaningless games. Really? How do you sort of see the Canucks performing if they do come back on Friday? I think that I've said this a lot. They're going to be battered and bruised and tired. And I think that there is not going to be a lot of effort in that first game. I think that that first game is, I feel like that first game, there's going to be a lot of, should we have just canceled the season? Because, you know, you could be coming out and seeing Bo Horvat skating at half his potential because he had COVID. You could see Thatcher Demko maybe not being as quick in the net as he was. You could see, a lot of things going into um, this next game that you wouldn't have even expected to see. I mean, they're going to be playing 
some tough opponents right off the bat. They've got Austin Matthews. They've got Connor McDavid, two guys who, when you're 110% healthy, uh, they're hard to go up against. And if you're 70% healthy, it's going to be, it's going to be awful to watch. It's going to be grim. Um, the Canucks are not in a good position right now and they shouldn't be playing hockey games. They should have been shut down for the season, let players recover to the maximum they can possibly recover. So we'll have to see, but I don't see the Canucks really doing anything exciting. No. And like, yeah, like you said, like, you know, you look at those first two games, they have a back to back against two of the best hockey players in the entire history of the, the universe. Like, you have a team that is having 20 players come off of a pandemic sickness. And then they're like, okay, now you can go compete against Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid for two nights. And yeah, go have fun. Yeah, I mean, you, you can have fun, but it's really not going to be so great. No, yeah, exactly. And yeah, that's that's the problem with this is, you know, I don't think it's going to be a Dallas situation where Dallas – missed the first two weeks of the season. And then they came out and made the NHL their smoke show and just won like what, like 11 straight, uh, seven straight games or whatever it was for Dallas coming right off the bat after they were out for two weeks. I don't think it's going to be that because like uh, with Dallas there, like they were coming off of a Stanley cup run. They, they had all that going for them with the Canucks. It's kind of been, it's been an identity finding season. This team doesn't really know its direction right now. And then you get this and then it's like, okay, come back, play like five hockey games and then have your off season. Yeah. I mean, that, that would make the most sense, but I think even if you're coming back for five games, it really doesn't make sense. No. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, you know, there, there really is no point in starting a season when, you know, your team, half your team had COVID and then, yeah, they're just it's it's not going to be pretty. We'll leave it at that. But um, let's jump into some more contract news here for this second half of the podcast. No, no one has been signed, but some contract negotiations. Um, first, I want to talk about the 2009 10th overall pick, Vasily Podkolzin. Um, the other day, I believe yesterday or two days ago, his KHL run with SKA St. Petersburg was ended in uh, the Western Conference Finals for the KHL. Um, in that, he had 16 games played, six goals, five assists for 11 points. So another Canucks prospect ripping up the European leagues. I mean, he could come over to Vancouver now. Um if he's not selected to to play on the the Russian team, the World Championships, but I mean, I don't know why under I don't know, I don't know why he would come over to Vancouver now, just based on where the Canucks are sort of at uh, with all COVID and potential return for meaningless games. But I think we'll see him in the fall in blue and green and Canucks jerseys. But I don't really expect too much out of him. I know there's a lot of hype around Pud Colson, but I'm taking sort of the low road and the pessimistic road on this guy because. I just, I don't have confidence in him. I, I don't really know why, but I just don't really have confidence that Pud Colson is going to do much in the NHL um, right off the bat. I think it's going to be sort of more sort of like Hoglander has done this year, uh, where maybe there's a bit of brightness at the beginning, but then sort of fizzles out. I think he's eventually going to be a very good middle six NHL player, but he's not going to light up the world like Elias Patterson, Brock Besser, and Quinn Hughes. Yeah, like, no, that's the thing, and... And it's confusing, too, when you see him putting stats like this 
in a men's league already. And you're just like, oh, well, psh, you should be able to come over to Vancouver and do that. No problem. No problem. It's it's they're both com- competitive professional hockey leagues, but no disrespect to the KHL, but the NHL game is a lot better. It's I would say I'd say the smaller rink does make it a bit faster too, because there's a lot more. You 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 hear a lot of European players say when they come over, it's that quick decision making that really gets them at first because they don't have as much space as they think they have. Sometimes they'll be. You can watch it too. You'll see a European guy go into the corner and all of a sudden he has to make a, a quick turn on a dime because he doesn't have that extra two feet from the boards for him. Obviously that extra two feet isn't going to decide someone's career, but at the start, you know, it's, um, it's an obstacle that you have to climb. Yeah. It's an obstacle he'll have to climb. I have no doubt that he'll do it eventually. I just don't think right off the bat. No. Yeah. And yeah, like, you never, and honestly, you never really see a European guy come in right off the bat and just light up the league. Like, well, 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 like, well I'll have to interrupt you there. Elias Pettersson came. Well, in. yeah, I was gonna yeah, say like, like, unlikely <laughs> Elias Pettersson here, but yeah, like you even see it with Rasmus Dalin. He came in with all the hype in the world. He was going to be the best defenseman in the league right off the bat, and he's maybe top fifteen, top twenty still because I feel like for Dalin, he. He's accustomed to the North American game. He's uh, uh, like he's grown to it and everything, but his game is still kind of patchy. I th- I don't think it's much of a problem with Dalene. I think it's more of a problem with uh, it's more of a problem with the Buffalo Sabers because the Sabers haven't developed him. They just threw him right into the fire. They didn't give him any help, and they just said carry this team. And Buffalo is such a heavy load to carry that they can't rely on a fairly small defenseman to carry their team. Um, I'm sure he's a very good defenseman. I haven't watched a lot of Buffalo. Uh, I don't think many people have, but I'm sure he's still a, he's still the defenseman that went first overall. And he's still the defenseman that probably should go first overall if you're going to do a redraft of that draft. But you just need a development staff to be able to get the best out of that player. And some teams have a development staff, some don't. Buffalo is one of the teams that doesn't. If you've gone to Toronto, I'm sure he'd be one of the best defenders in the league right now. Yeah, and yeah, we talked about it too last week as well with um, development and coaches and everything like that can help a player's game. And I feel like that development staff in Vancouver can really be a benefit for Vesely Podkolzin coming in um, because obviously they are pretty used to Euro prospects at this point now. They've had a, a fair amount of them come and go in the past couple of years now. They Patterson, Ulevi, just Hoglander, just name a few, you know, and Obviously, there'll be there'll be more coming down in the future, but yeah, for now, I think uh, I think Vasily Podkolzin's rookie year will be a very back and forth one, similar to Nils Hoglander, because, like you said, we at the start of the year, a lot of the NHL community had Hoglander winning the Calder or being top three. Now he's not even in top ten. Yeah, I, I would agree. I'm- I don't really know prospects all that well, so I don't really know who's coming to the league next year, but. It's a very North American heavy draft. I'll tell you that. And and even players who who are developed and coming into the league, like, like Pod Colson, maybe Pod Colson's in the Calder conversation next year. It's way too early to sort of predict that, but we'll, we'll have to see. Um, I don't have very high expectations for the kid, uh, but then again, I, I'm, no, I'm no hockey scout. I'm just a guy who talks about hockey and 
thinks hockey players are cool, so I write stories, but stories about them. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I've said I've said my piece on my on the silly pod calls, and I don't think he's going to be all that fantastic right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, no, really, re- no rookies really good right off the bat, but so, some of them are, but you know, not all of them. But um, yeah, let's uh, move into our last piece of contract talks here. Some uh, some big number 40s in Vancouver, Pedersen and Hughes, they are off the books from their entry-level deals this year. Time to get these guys signed to some big boy contracts. And Ben, what do you, uh, what can you, what can you say about that right now? I think it would be great to lock both of them up long-term, but I also think that the Canucks aren't in a situation where they, where, where, where Hughes or Pedersen will want to be locked up long-term. They want to see where this organization's going. If Jim Benning's going to be here for the long haul, I don't know why any player would want to be here. Um, and so I'm so I'm sort of seeing that they're going to get sort of three or four year de- three or four year deals uh, that might not be through the roof, but they'll be they'll be decently expensive, but they're not going to be through the roof. They're not going to be Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews, um, but they'll they'll be big contracts and then we'll have this headache in another couple of years as well. It'll, it'll, it'll be, it'll be similar to the situation that Canucks ran into with Brock Besser. Yeah, definitely. And that's always been kind of my, my hope is that they can just get him to a contract that's similar to Besser. You know, Besser, his year value was good. I, I think his dollar value was extremely worked out well. I feel like the Besser contract is something very good to model off of what is coming up with Patterson and Hughes. Obviously, they gain a little bit more attention than Besser has. And I know sometimes that does have to play in a little bit with how you sign a player and just overall, what is he going to do for your team? Let alone, can he put the goddamn puck in the net? But, you know, um, I, I would really like to see something, you know, in that three to four year deal where it's not only good for the team where we can be a competitive team for the next three to four years because we have those guys, but also because we can figure out our identity in that three to four years. We can model this team around those guys in those three to four years. And we can also try to convince these guys to not leave when they turn into UFAs in the next four years. Yeah. I mean, I think that the Canucks need to, well, they need to resign the guys. I have no doubt that both of them will be in Canucks jerseys come 21, 22 but they also have to give them some confidence that they're going in a winning direction. No player, no athlete wants to be in a mediocre organization. They all want to win. And so no matter how much money you're paying them, most of them won't stay in the organization if they're going to keep losing or keep just not winning. Sure, you can be competitive, but you might, if, you don't, if you're not in the conversation for the Stanley Cup, then you're going to want to move. We saw this with guys like Brian Kessler. Ryan Kessler wanted to move on after the Canucks weren't all that competitive anymore and all power to him for doing so. He came out on Sportsnet a couple days ago and spoke about his experience of saying that he only wanted to go to two teams when he got traded and two teams that he felt that were close to the Stanley Cup. And that was Anaheim and that was Chicago. He eventually got to go to Anaheim, didn't win a Stanley Cup there, but at least he got a shot and he got what he wanted. The Canucks clearly weren't heading in an upward direction when Ryan Kessler left the club. And I think there could be a similar situation if the Canucks don't turn this around fairly quickly. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, and those are those situations, you know, those 2013 to 15 or whatever Canucks problems that they had there uh, when they were disassembling that 2011 cup run team. Those are problems you never want to see a team have, you know, 
you had the problems of uh, Roberto Luongo coming out and saying the reason that he isn't being traded is because his contract sucks. You you don't want to see that happen again, and you don't want to especially see that happen again to the same team. And, you know, I feel like just letting these guys not do what they want, but be very big um, in the direction that this team will go will be a very determining factor on whether they stay or not. Because I know star players do like their ability to bring the team together. And they do like that ability to have leadership no matter what, whether they got an A or a C on their jersey. Um, and yeah, that's that's always how it is. And we can just hope that we don't see a Quinn Hughes or Elias Pettersson rights has been traded to someone headline. I think that's coming eventually if the Canucks don't turn the ship around and make themselves into a championship contender. Neither of those players, no star player wants to play on a losing team. Sure, they can bring leadership and leadership is extremely important, but there's only so much money can buy. And if players are smart, they're going to go to a team that's going to pay them a lot of money and it's going to win. There are some players in this league who I don't think are too bright. And that's where you run into situations like a guy who just got traded from Buffalo to Boston. Um, that's a situation he not Taylor Hall should not have been in, been caught in. But that was by his own doing, so I have no sympathy for him. Um, but the Canucks have to turn around fast if they want to attract players, but also keep the players. And the peak of this management group and the peak of this generation of Canucks cannot be the second round in a bubble against Vegas. Yeah, and you know where we where we got in as the fifteenth or whatever seed probably wouldn't have even made the playoffs that year if it wasn't for the pandemic. But yeah, no, I agree. Like you know, I I feel like that was the problem with this team this year is because we really shouldn't have made the playoffs last year. Like that was a fluke prayer from God that the Canucks made the playoffs last year, and. You know, the fact that we have that to compare to this season is it's been very sad, honestly. It's been very sad. And it, it reminds me of the going from the 14-15 season to the 15-16 season. I think everybody can look at the Canucks in the bubble and know that they weren't that team. They were just sort of performing higher than what they were expected to do. And this year is what the Canucks are and they haven't been too well. Yeah, no. They, yeah, exactly. This This year has been... A big, a big show year. And, you know, even at the start of the year, we had that four-game, three-game series, whatever, against Ottawa, where if we lost one of those games, they were going to tear the whole entire team apart. Like, they were going to fire Benning. They were going to make all these different moves, you know, just because we lost one game to Ottawa. They, and, the Aquilinis weren't going to do that. The Aquilinis have way too much faith in the management group of the Vancouver Canucks. And I think when the Aquilini, Francesco Aquilini came out and gave his vote of confidence on Twitter to the management and coaching staff, the team, the coaching staff, who still doesn't have uh, contracts for it past this season. But I think when he came out and did that, it wasn't your traditional owner coming out and saying, here's a vote of confidence. And then a week later, they're fired. It was actually a vote of confidence. I don't think the Aquilini see that this team is struggling. I think they see that this is a bit of a blip and they still see the 2011 Canucks out on the ice, which is really not who's out there. You have one player from the 2011 Canucks who's out there in Alex Edler. And Alex Edler is not a very good hockey player anymore either. He's on the wrong, wrong side of 30. And 
he's not contributing to the team all that much either. So I I think that they for the Canucks to have success, I think it needs a new ownership group or at least uh, a general manager who puts his foot down and doesn't let the owner get involved because I think a meddling owner, it's never successful in sports. Think of the meddling owners in the NHL. Who comes to mind? It's Vancouver and Buffalo, two of the worst teams in the league. So there's there's clear precedent there, and I think the Canucks need a general manager, a guy like Brian Burke, who can put his foot down and say to the owners of the team, hey, I'm the general manager. I make the decisions here. You guys just bring in the money, and I'll put a winning hockey team on the ice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah, especially going back to the ownership too, I really do see the Aquilinis as the Canadian Pagulas. It is... There, there's too many, too many uh, strings to connect there between those two. So I, I will give you props to that. That was a, that was a good one. I do see that myself. But um, yeah, it, um, it's, it's just confusing, honestly. Like I can't even put it into words. Being in the Canucks world in the past couple of years has just been so confusing with this ownership group. You know, like you said, I th- I do say think the same. They still see that 2011 team out there. It's just they've changed Roberto Longo's name to Thatcher Demko and they've changed Elias Pettersson or Henrik Sedin's name to Elias Pettersson. And they're doing all like all that. I, I do believe that they still think that this is a competitive team, even though this team is a very low shell of what a competitive team should look like. Yeah. It, it's not a competitive team. And I mean, you, you, you're pretty young. You don't really, I can't imagine you really remember 2011 as well as uh, some older vets like I do. And I'm no vet myself just uh is 20 years old, but like, I still remember sort of being in class and there was a lot of hype around the Canucks. I was in grade five at the time and it just seems like there's a lethargy around the Canucks now and nobody really cares anymore. Even at that level in grade five, when you're, that's all that matters is, is hockey games and what you're doing after school. That's all that matters. Um, and I don't get that sense. I, I have, uh, a family friend who's in grade five right now and he's not into hockey at all. So um, like there's just lethargy around the Canucks and I, I can't see it turning around anytime soon, but they better do it or else they're going to lose some very good hockey players. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, like as we've seen hockey players, any players don't like to stick with the team that doesn't win. And, you know, I, I personally am tired of seeing the same story over and over. You know, we come, into the season with some expectation because we signed for some free agent that's kind of sketchy, but you know, maybe he can do something, but you know, he just ends up being a complete disappointment. You know, it's, it really is tiring, but all we can do is be sports fans and hope and pray that the management can turn the ship around. I hope that the Canucks management can turn the ship around because Vancouver deserves a winning hockey team. It's been 51 years on the West coast without a Stanley cup. They deserve a hockey team that can at least give them some excitement. And while that playing in the bubble last year gave them a little smidge of what the Canucks can do, the Canucks and their fans really deserve more than what they've seen over the past eight years or so of Jim Benning. Oh, yeah. I 100% agree. You know, it's (sighs) – bring back Mike Gillis. That's all I'm going to say. That's that's all I'm going to say. Bring him back. We need him back. That's all I'm saying. Um But yeah, I think uh, for now that will wrap up episode two of the New Era Canucks podcast. I want to thank you, the listeners, very much for listening. And I want to thank Ben for coming along for another episode.
yeah, yeah, I'm happy to be here and happy to uh, happy to be a part of it. All right, Ben, I will talk to you in the next one and see you later.